Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, your chance to get new ideas that will help you run a more successful and sustainable business. But today, we're not necessarily focused on management and leadership as we traditionally do. Instead, I wanted to share with you a resource that I've used for, he may have to tell me how long I've been a member of the the resource that he provides, but Joe Brancatelli, he, he's an Italian. He's a he, he's somebody I count as a friend in the travel world, even though this is our first time actually seeing each other face to face, but we've talked for a number of years. Joe is a resource in the travel world and he has a website. I shouldn't say a website. He has a newsletter called Joe Sent Me. And that's how I find out about stuff I need to know about in the world of travel. And as most of you know, I travel a lot for business and pleasure. And so Joe's been a resource that's helped me find smarter, better ways to spend my dollars when I travel, both personally and professionally. So, Joe, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Thank you, Ed. And thank you for saying that I've helped you because that's what we do. Uh, It would be a waste of time if we didn't. Yeah, you you do it well, and and um, it's it's hard to uh, describe the passion that you have for the work you do. It's where does the passion come from, Joe? Is is that something you've always had about travel? I well, I I don't call it travel, Ed. As you know, as a business traveler, when we're traveling, we don't think of ourselves as travelers. We think of ourselves as, as business people in remote locations, and very few places in the travel world deal with that. You know, it's much more fun to, you know, write about how wonderful France is or the, you know, the amazing food in this other place or what great views you can have from a hotel overlooking the Champs-Élysées in Paris. What it does, what these resources don't tell you about is how bad is the coffee and does the (laughs) conference room have Wi-Fi? And these are the things that a business traveler lives on, not the views from the hotel room in the Champs-Élysées, but how early does the coffee go on so I can start my morning at 5 a.m. Paris time when it's still, say, 11 p.m. in Hong Kong. When when did you first start advising others? Was that something you were doing informally? And then all of a sudden you went, well, I want to do this more formally. How how did that work? Well, uh, I was... As you are, Ed, a traveler, a business traveler, I'm a journalist, and I was have always been one of those journalists that people would parachute, as we call it, into places. It's like, okay, so Afghanistan's breaking down. Joe, go over there and write about Afghanistan. When I started doing this, uh, or people would assign me, it was the early 80s, and the only resource out there was a thing called the Pocket Flight Guide. And with the Pocket Flight Guide came a magazine called Frequent Flyer Magazine. And it was different than the other publications because it focused on the business travel experience. In those days, nobody would spend $350 for a little pocket guide full of schedules unless you were a business traveler. I was stunned and thrilled one day in the mid-80s when they called me and said, hey, we've read your stuff in Newsweek and you know, time and other places where I was working. We'd like you to help us 
weirdly, about non-travel things. The first two pieces I did for Frequent Flyer were about uh, telephone systems and personal computing, which were two areas that were beginning to impact business travel, but that the travel (laughs) writers knew nothing about. And basically, I found a, a place where I could write about the life I was living that wasn't all that much different from the other people we were meeting on a plane. If I didn't know you, Ed, and I wouldn't know you, we know each other by email, not by sight. Right. We right. would sit down at maybe at the next, you know, at adjacent seats at a conference or maybe on a flight. And the first thing we do is start complaining about our life on the road, how terrible it is, how difficult it is. And that's where Joe sent me currently lives. That's what we do. The unfun, unfriendly, unpretty stuff that helps you get your life on the road a little better, a little more productive. Who is your avatar, your ideal member? Uh, is is it somebody like me that travels a lot frequently or is it what 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 do we look like? The 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 perfect member Ed is a member who did what you just did at the beginning of this podcast and said, "You know, Joe's helped me out." Uh Joe sent me is determinately obstinately aggressively non-commercial. We don't take advertising, we don't trade links, we don't promote we don't track what people read, okay? We put out information that we think can help travelers. So the best, tra- the, the ideal Joe sent me member is someone who writes me a note saying, hey, you saved me 50 bucks on that fare, thanks a lot. Or yeah. for the same amount of money, I got a hotel room that was three blocks closer to my conference and much better bed. That's yeah. the perfect member. And there is uh, art to the uh, world of travel there is it's not purely science there's nuances to it and and um it's uh, always in flux there's always things changing and so finding somebody who has their finger on the pulse of both the airlines the hotels the lounges things of that nature that's been a wonderful resource i know when joe puts something on the in the newsletter every friday afternoon it's meaningful. It's it's got substance. I, I I it's one of the few that I always read. You know, I is it safe to say you're not a, a a big fan of the airline industry? Well, I I don't think that any traveler, any business traveler, any business person can be a fair a fan of the airlines. From the top line, as we have learned in the last year, as they've taken about eighty billion dollars in taxpayer revenue as a thank you for existing. They privatized the profits and socialized their losses. This has happened for all of the 30 years that I've covered business travel. It's almost 40 years now. They never want to earn their losses. They never want to own them. And when they make money, it's all theirs. So from the business angle, that's why we don't like airlines. From the very personal angle as a traveler on business, the first thing you need to know is that the entire system is literally rigged against you. Business travelers are perhaps 20% of the volume, but you know, in the old standard, they're 80% of the profit. And why are we business travelers that much of the profit? Because the fare structure is tilted against us. They used to do it with Saturday night stays. Now they're sort of getting it. And of course, no business traveler wants to stay over at a conference location, you know, in February in Minnesota. Um, another day. If they don't have to, they want to go home and live a life. Right. right. Um, now they do it in different ways with things like basic economy, which they know a business traveler would never fly because it's so repressive. 
I mean, literally, right. the airlines have created a, a kind of fare that are so ugly, they don't expect you to buy them. That's a strange Correct. business for those that's, of us who right. write about business and those of us who live business. <laughs> are there defining moments in the evolution of the airline industry that you kind of look at on this date? It got even worse on this. In this moment, it, it took another turn to, and, and, and went even further into the unfriendly direction it's gone? Well, you know, Ed, it's an interesting that you bring that up. Before the pandemic, which, of course, changed everything again, I sat down one day and tried to make believe you could take business travel and make it history. Yeah. And, and I think the you ha we have to go back to 1978 when the airlines were regulated commodity in this country. They lived in a cost-plus environment. So they never had to think very hard. Right. Like, yeah, this is our cost. We had 10%, and that's how we make money. In 1980, they became deregulated. And here were these hothouse flowers who lived in a cost-plus environment, suddenly dealing with the concept of competition. Now, this is primarily the airlines. Hotels, car rentals, and the other accoutrements have always been competitive. But the, my bad metaphor is the airlines drive the bus. Their mentality overranks everything in the in the business right. travel world. So you go to that, and I think at each stage, when there's been an eruption, you know, the first Gulf War, the second Gulf War, nine eleven, the the meltdown financially of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, you can look at each one of these things as an epic in in business travel and business travel has changed. And certainly when the rest of us get back on the road, I know you've been traveling as much Ed, after this pandemic, business travel will look nothing like what it was in 2019. It's, it's different. There's no question about it. I have, I flew back from Bozeman, Montana yesterday. It was out there on some personal things time with my son and, and uh, had a wonderful time. But when we flew into Bozeman, we had to sit on the plane for an hour waiting to get off and yesterday, when we were waiting to board in Bozeman, we waited probably 20, 25 minutes beyond our scheduled start for boarding. And the two gate agents who were trying to take care of us literally were nowhere to be seen. And finally, at, at uh, you know, 15 minutes after the boarding time was supposed to start, I see them come walking up the from the plane. And they were just disheveled. They were hot. They were tired. You can tell they've been working. They'd been out there cleaning the plane. And they, they've got a situation right there right now in Bozeman. I don't know where I can't speak everywhere else. But the reason we were an hour getting off the plane and an hour, I'm sorry, half an hour late getting on the plane was because they don't have enough people to be able to get the planes cleaned and turn them around and, and, and stay on schedule. It was if it, that's I mean, service has gone down and I don't I'm, I don't blame those two individuals. It's, it's a function of what the airlines are experiencing. Well, the thing that I think it's important to tell people who do not travel a lot on business, which means they're not watching the nuance. Airlines today and hotels are very much like McDonald's in that their model is the franchise franchisee model. Mm -hmm. Let's just go to hotels for a moment so we don't beat up on the airlines endlessly here. Think of the hotel names you know, Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, Intercontinental, Holiday Inn, you name it. Right, right. None of these brands own the properties. Correct. None of these brands even manage the properties. They are franchise operations and they have a book of procedures that they hand to the franchisee in exchange for 
12, 15, 20% of the revenue so that they can fly the brand flag outside the door. And very much true is the fact that these brand standards are not manageable. They're, They're fantasy models that people simply cannot support. In the case of going back to Bozeman, Montana, whatever airline you were flying, I can guarantee you it was not the flights were not operated by the airline whose name was on the door. Those are commuter carriers run by independent airlines, and they run on something because this is a business audience. I can say this capacity purchase agreements. The big Correct. airlines, like say United, will say, "Look, we'll give you X thousands of dollars for the entire flight." And whether there's one person on the flight or 50 people on the flight, that's what you get. And you figure out how to meet our standards. And as those two people who were sweaty and disheveled will tell you, it's almost impossible to meet the standards that the airlines tell you they've got in place. Well, especially, and I'm guessing right now they're understaffed. I'm like, like so many businesses right now can't get enough people. And, and so, you know, I, I, I went to a wonderful restaurant, Bocce. I wanted to go to Bocce in Healdsburg a couple of months ago when we were there. And, uh, we were there on a Wednesday in, in, uh, Healdsburg, California. Couldn't, couldn't have dinner because they weren't open Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights because they don't have enough, they don't have enough staff. Yeah. So. In, in the case of the airlines, because the airlines, while we say they're deregulated, they still have a very heavy government hand, and they should be since we've given them $80 billion in the last year. Yeah, They must report many f- things that would otherwise be corporate confidential. We know how many people they employ. And right now, at this moment, the airlines are 10% smaller in terms of full-time employees than they were at this time last year. Now, think of that. This time last year, we were talking about perhaps 700,000 people a day on the planes because we were just beginning something like a summer recovery before the fall coronavirus. Now we're seeing 2 million people a day, and the airlines actually have fewer people working. And this is after we gave them $80 billion, Ed, specifically to keep people employed. It sounds like a recipe for bad customer service. Uh, It is the person who gives you good service on an airline, in a hotel, at a car rental desk. These are the people you say wonderful things to. I know many business travelers literally carry little perks like Kit Kat bars or Tootsie Rolls to hand them just as a physical thank you. My God, you were not terrible to me today. And often the people who are terrible to you are under such intense pressure that it's not really their fault. But, you know, we've paid a lot of money and we want the service. So would it be better if we went back to privatize? I'm sorry, if we went back to the days of 1978 when the regulated regulated airlines, you know, Ed, I am a child of deregulation. Right. Um, I don't when people tell me, let's go back to the regulated days. The next thing they'll say is, and boy, you won't imagine what the standing rib roast on Pan Am was. And my reaction to that is, you know, I eat a lot. I don't care about the standing rib roast on Pan Am. And I don't care if they bring it on my United flight to Paris tomorrow. I'm not getting on a plane to eat. I'm getting on a plane, hopefully for a comfortable seat. So you could make the case for regulation based on how bad things are, or I can give you the two alternative bad 
things. Think about the TSA. Mm-hmm. The TSA was created not even 20 years ago. Okay, they were they are a function of 9-11, created after right. 9-11. They are the worst run bureaucracy I have ever seen. Okay, they have 50,000 people and cannot get you through the checkpoints and don't seem to know what the, their own rules are. So that does not augur well. And again, I go back to three bailouts of the airlines in 2020. They got upwards of $80 billion. And we said, okay, we said it right in the law. You will use this to keep people employed. And the airline said, well, a lot of people left because we bought them out. So we don't quite have the the staffs we used to have. So we'll just take the rest of the money. So private enterprise almost always beats government thinking. And unfortunately, we live with a business that does not want to do it well. If if you had it within your power to wave the magic wand and do something that would make things better for at least the business traveler, is there is there one thing you could do, or you you would you would say if we could do this, it would really change things? I you know I that answer has been, that question is asked of me all the time. I've probably written fifty columns about that over the years. What the yeah. one thing I would do, or the five things I would do. The one thing I would do now, because the airlines have basically had to get off the Saturday night stay. Many fa- right. many airfares now are one-way purchase, and that's a fair break for everyone. I would say minimum seat pitch on an airline. In the days of, de- of regulation, there was 34 inches of what seat pitch, which means legroom, yes. on very nice, very padded seats. Now yes. you have as little as 29 inches on seats that they, the industry calls slimline seats. And what that means is it's a bench. I'm a nice yes. Catholic boy, Ed. I spent a lot of time on in church pews. Yes. Slimline seats are no better than church pews. The only That's thing you don't have to do analogy. is kneel because you, yeah. there's no room to kneel. Yeah, you couldn't if you wanted to. Hearing you just say that, uh, that truthfully, that would be a big, big difference, wouldn't it? And they'd probably have to give up, what, one row of seats on the standard 737? Perhaps one or two. The, per, let's say, well, the, the fact that the 737 is now the standard is is problematic in itself because once upon a time, the airlines advertised New York to Los Angeles on wide body 747s. Right. And, you know, now it's how many, how narrow can the plane be? Right. And there's a, there's a overriding financial reason for that. If you if you fly efficient smaller planes, you can fly to a destination more frequently, and that's actually good for business travelers. But yeah. airlines are such a strange b- business model that you take three seats out of a plane, you may often cost them the profit on that plane, as bad as it sounds. So I'm not sure, you know, I would say raise the prices, but we live in a country now that believes you have the right to travel at any time for any reason at the lowest possible price. Hence the existence of airlines like Spirit and Frontier and Allegiant. Yeah, right, right, right. Probably a big change for me in the last few years is watching the people trying to deliver or meet the customer standard or the brand standards that we talked about earlier and using systems and processes that don't work. And I, I don't think of any anything more than my my experiences with budget and how many times I went to a budget car place in the last couple of years and watched the poor agent trying to help me 
trying to enter data and, you know, doing this keystrokes and not being able to give me an answer that I did, I needed to be able to complete my reservation. And, you know, at, at first I thought they were inept. And then I just came to the realization, no, they're working with bad systems and processes. And what I hear you saying is, in some cases, that's the franchisee's fault. In other cases, that might be the brand's fault. But in any case, there's a lot of good people who want to take care of us as travelers, but aren't able to do it because the, the equipment, the systems, processes they're working for, with, or they haven't been trained, to, they are, are, are failing, or they're not trained to use them correctly, something like that. Well, you know, you almost have to stick a pin in a time, Ed, when you say, boy, I like traveling. Yeah. And then try to explain what's changed since then. Weirdly, the airlines still largely work on computer systems that were invented in the 70s. Um, car rental is a, is a part of the business that no one wants to talk about. Whenever I write a car rental column, nobody reads it. Now, again... <laughs> People have to subscribe to Joe sent me and pay money to get us. So if I send you something on car rental, I think it's important for you to read. But people don't want to read about car rental. It seems boring. It seems like we know about it. Um, but to take your situation with budget, I know you mentioned to me that you'd switched to national. Yeah, I and, did. And national is owned by a family owned company. They have a franchise operation at national, but the parent company of national is enterprise. And when right. you think of all the enterprise locations there are in the United States, thousands, they're all owned by one family and yeah. they run a good operation. And National has said, we're going to keep it really simple. Pay the middle midsize car rate and then go to the lot and take anything you want. They take anything care. you want. Yeah. And that's a wise thing. I'd also come back to one thing. And, and I try to leaven this. I mean, Sometimes some of the people who don't like what I write say, you never have anything good to say. And I say, I'm sorry, I'm a business traveler. It's hard. But I will say this. There is a model out there. The hotel industry has its problems, but compared to airlines, they're miraculous. The hotel industry looked at the landscape and said, not everybody wants to stay, pick the hotel you thought of as important, the Palmer House in Chicago. Yeah, the, you know, the Pierre in New York, you know, the old ambassador in Los Angeles, which doesn't exist, the, you know, the Mark Hopkins in San Francisco. Not everybody wants that. Some people just want a cup of coffee in the morning and a quick breakfast and a good shower. Hence, we have the Hampton Inns of the world, the Hyatt places of the world. They realize that many people have to spend weeks in a hotel, store right. openers, contractors, so they yeah. invented a brand called a, a line of business called extended stay. There you have apartment like accommodations. Yep. And they take away some of the things you don't need, ballrooms, bellhops, that kind of thing. Yep. The hotel industry looks at what their customers want and says, let's design a hotel brand for that. That is something the rest of the travel industry does not do. No, they don't. They don't. Let's talk a little bit about Joe sent me and what what our audience, the folks that listen to the Ed Epley experience, what what will they what will they see when they go there if they're if they visit both your site and also get your e-newsletter? Well, Joe sent me was started literally in a hotel room in San Francisco two days after September 11th. I was writing columns for a, a, an important site at the time called biztravel.com. It was owned by a large travel agency. Uh, I remember getting the call in the hotel room from the from the owner 
who said, Joe, the phones aren't ringing. I said, well, gee, you know, nobody's <laughs> flying. Why would the phones be ringing? And he said, well, I'm not going to support this anymore. And I said, well, okay. And I was angry because I thought he was running away at a time that business travelers needed them, needed us the most, the, the most. writers. Yeah, absolutely. So I designed, I said, okay, I'm going to put up on my last column. In fairness to him, he did let us all write a final column. And I said, I'll put up a little note at the bottom of my final column. Send me your email. If you want me to keep writing these things, I will. I'll figure out a way to do it. I knew nothing about web design or web anything. I just, you know, right. put nouns. my job is to stick nouns against verbs and make some sense out of it, not to figure out how it gets to people. So I, I think I took a, a site I had created for my niece's birth pictures you know, these plug them in things. Yeah. And I plugged oh, in yeah. some columns and I said, okay, we'll do this for a month because in a month the commercial publishers will come back and they'll be smart because business travel is too profitable. They never did. So I decided to keep Joe sent me, which was a joke name, which I would never use, but it was a joke <laughs> going to the end of 2001 in Chris around Christmas time, 2001, the readers were sending me money in Christmas cards. <laughs> saying, please try and keep going. And I said, I didn't know what to do with that. So I went to a, the guy who had hired me at Frequent Flyer years ago and said, let's try to do something. And we created Joe Sent Me because I was told I couldn't change the name because that was a brand now. Yeah. Okay? And I basically did what I wanted to do. We don't take advertising. We don't trade. We don't track hits. We don't do anything that annoys the reader. The site exists only for the benefit of business travelers. And I say to them, you want real news that nobody's trying to sell you a credit card that you don't need yeah. or lie right. to you about a quality of a hotel. It takes you spending the money to go to a non-commercial site. And we've bumped along for 15, 18, now 19 years. We don't make any money. And our goal is not to make any money. We have we do just enough to survive. And that's what you'll find that Joe sent me. All the right information we think about business travel without any of the phony stuff. Well, it's the it's the one subscription that I have that I never question, should I renew it? And thank you. <laughs> and what's the value I get for it? And is it fair to say it's what, a hundred bucks? Uh, it is, it, is it? I tell you, it is now hundred and forty nine. We try to it's, Okay. Yeah. But we also have another policy that, you know, makes people shake their head. Whatever price you pay when you come in, you never pay more. So I don't know, Ed, what price you came in at. I, I think I think I'm I think I'm ninety nine bucks. Okay, so you will never pay more than that because my theory <laughs> is you've been nice enough to subscribe. Why would I raise your price? Our goal. Yeah. This is what you can do when your goal is not to make money, but to keep people informed. And all the people who write for Joe sent me write for free. It's a yeah. it's a combination of. Journalists like myself and people like Barb McGarvey and Chris Barnett, and then travelers with passion like David Danto and Will Allen, um, yeah. you know, who who frankly find offense at everything. I'm the sanest voice there sometimes. 
I, I, a couple of ideas that I'll share with the audience, and then I want you to tell them how to connect with you should they want to become members. Two things that stand out. One, just as recent as yesterday, day before, you sent out a quick email that said, hey, if you're thinking about traveling to Italy, here is a place you ought to be aware of. And there's there's a, a member's discount if you want. And and you, you sent it. It's a villa. I went to the website, looked at it. It's remarkable. And it was like, okay, this is, this is so, so for so many of us, when we go to places we've never been before, it's who do you trust and how do you minimize the likelihood that you have an experience that's something less than that you would want it to be. And so Joe helps filter out those things in advance to help you be aware of those options that you have and more likely make the best choice choice for you. If I could jump in, Ed, because I think it's important. Sure. We have the same policy about the discounts we do yeah. as everything else. I negotiate them for the benefit of the members. We don't take a cut. We don't take a commission. Right. We're not in. Right. And as I say, ever at the end of the bottom, if you do business with these guys, no skin off my nose. I'm telling you, it's a good deal. And that all came about because airlines, when Joe sent me, started to get some readership and some cachet, which I find hilarious. The airline said, well, you know, we'll give you a discounted price and then you'll get $300. And I said, well, why don't you just give the $300 back to the traveler by reducing the price? Yeah. And I literally, we've done deals with uh, with TAP, with Aer Lingus, with several other airlines. Yes. And sometimes it has to go right to the chairman of the board to get the sign off on the deal because the chairman of the board can't fathom that somebody's going to promote their product without taking money. Without getting paid and for it. And in fact, yeah. one of the questions I get all the time is, not so much lately, obviously, is, We'd love what what airline can you recommend in China? And there's a fabulous airline, actually, ostensibly private owned called Hainan Airways. Terrific service, terrific brand new planes owned by a company. God knows how much money they've lost because the government will take them over anyway. We literally could not do the deal even after we negotiated it because the Chinese government back in Beijing was convinced somebody was getting a payoff. Okay, it's like, oh, wait a minute, you're reducing your price by $500 on a business class seat that's only available in what they call a closed shop deal. Only Joe Sammy members could get it. I'm not taking any money. Where would the payoff be? But you could not convince the Beijing bureaucrats that there was not somebody stealing money. So we do negotiate, we do deals when we can, and we have some good ones. But they're hard to de- they're really hard to navigate in a world that lives well, on payoffs. You you do help people find some great deals, and that's what I want to tell the audience that that the first time we went to Italy, it was because Joe said there's going to be a there's an airfare right now for forty eight hours, seventy two hours for business class seats to Rome, and you know you might want to take advantage of it. I went online and we got myself, my wife, and our dear friends Tony and Betsy Stevens. We got four wonderful business class seats for eighteen hundred dollars person to Roman back. And it was it was like, I don't know, probably a third of the normal cost. Right. Business class is so much more comfortable at eighteen hundred than fifty five. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It really it suddenly really, all the problems go away. Yeah. And 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 it spoils you and it, it's it raises the bar for future travel, I tell you that. That is a problem. Joe, if, if people want to reach out to you and and find out more about Joe sent me, what's the best way for them to do that? Go to joesentme.com, J-O-E-S-E-N-T-M-E.com. And if you remember, that's from the pajama game, knock three times and whisper low and say that you were sent by Joe. It's a terrible, bad joke. I, 
I wish I could change the name of the site, but it's not not going to happen. But JoeStephanie.com, we have a free newsletter. Some of the sites is free to read. Some of it is not, and you have to be a member. You can join, or you can have the free letter first and join when you want. And right now, I would say the most important thing we're doing is a on our travel newsstand page, every day we put out a coronavirus update, which is totally focused on business travel and in bullet points. So you don't have to read 900 words on something. And that's every word we've ever written about coronavirus is free to everyone. He's a good man. He's Joe Brancatelli. He's become a better friend today as a result of spending time with us here on the Ed Epley Experience. Joe, thanks so much. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 